It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Final show of the week and a good one at that. Chris Hine from the Star Tribune joins me here in a few minutes. Talk Timberwolves off of their big win on Wednesday against Denver. Previously undefeated defending champion Denver Wolves won that game fairly handily 110-89. Even their record at two and two maybe quieted some of the some of the rustling going around with fans. Like, hey, what's going on here? You know, kind of more of the same from this team from last year to this year, and it probably gives give themselves some confidence as well going forward. Now, some big games coming up still for the Wolves. They have an off day today, but Utah on Saturday. And then I think Boston on Monday and New Orleans on Wednesday, all of those at Target Center. So opportunity for them to have a nice homestand, but also, you know, those are all teams that will challenge them in different ways. Can they rise to the challenge? Chris and I will talk more about that in just a little while. Got to get to some Joshua Dobbs stuff at the end of the show. New Vikings quarterback spoke with the media for the first time, the Minnesota media for the first time on Thursday. Had some interesting uh, interesting thoughts from him on kind of getting ready on short notice that I want to share with you here in a little bit. First though, what did I miss? We're going to have to start with the Wild. Um, be nice if, for them if they would start better in these games. They lost again on, on Thursday, 5-3 to New Jersey, second straight loss to New Jersey, fourth straight loss overall. Um, and it's just, it's not one thing. And that's that's the problem. That's what I want to talk about here. It's not just one thing that's going poorly for them. And so I want to kind of identify all of the areas in which they are coming up short and maybe try to figure out, okay, how do you how do you fix something when it's everything, more or less, that's going wrong? And not everything, but a lot of different areas going wrong. I think the first place you look naturally when a team is giving up so many goals in every game is the goaltending. And the goaltending has not been good. Let's start right there. Philip Gustafson got the start again on Thursday and again was not great. He was great in the opener of the season, a 41-save shutout ever since then. 27 goals allowed in his last five games. Now, sometimes you look at it and you say, okay, is it really just the goalie who is to blame when, you know, when when games go bad? No, but I think this data will show that it's it's him and it's the Wilds defense that is letting them down. So let's take a look at this. Gustafson has given up 27 goals in six games, about four and a half goals per game. Unacceptable at any level. You're not going to win a lot of games that way. His expected goals allowed are around 3.66 goals allowed per game. So he's giving up almost a goal more per game than he would be expected to be given up, giving up given the quality of shots, you know, where the shots are coming from, flow, game flow, things like that. So he's giving up more this year, about five total goals more than he should be, you know, given given basically what an average goalie would do or what what would be expected of him based on the shot quality. Last season, he gave up 2.1 goals per game over the course of 39 games. 2.1 goals. He's giving up more than twice as many goals as he was a year ago. That is definitely not uh, definitely not something that you want to hear if you're Gustafson, if you're a Wild fan, if you're anybody. Um, his expected goals allowed last year were 2.65. So he was overachieving last year relative to expectations by about half a goal a game. So what you have is 
underachieving this year, overachieving last year. But if you look at that, the expected goals are about a goal higher this year, almost exactly a goal higher this year, 3.66 versus 2.65 in the goal in the games that he is playing. So clearly, defensively, the Wild are doing him more favors. They're not playing well in front of him, and he is not playing well behind him. And that is a recipe for disaster, as is a penalty kill that has given up 12 goals already this season. Wild getting outscored, um, I think, 14-8 to eight on special teams. They've scored two shorthanded goals. They've given up uh, two shorthanded goals, um, scored six power play goals, and given up 12 goals on the opposing power play. So 14-8 to eight on special teams, especially looking at those 12 power play goals allowed. You cannot give up 12 power play goals, especially when you are only scoring uh, six yourself. That's just a, too big of a difference too much of a gap on special teams and that was a huge part of the reason they lost to new jersey on thursday the five on five play they were pretty good they, they especially as the game wore on they were they were skating well they were they were a good team in five on five but you know what a lot of the game is not played five on five those are the moments that have sunk them in the playoffs and those moments are sinking them so far this season so you look at defense special teams goaltending that's a lot and the first line has been underproducing. It's been not playing well enough for the Wild's liking. They've split up that line. It bore some fruit on Thursday. It looked like, you know, the the Kirill Kaprizov, Ryan Hartman, and Matt Zuccarello started playing better once they were apart. Kaprizov had a goal last night. He's got three goals and seven assists in 10 games, so a point per game. But he doesn't look like the player that we are used to seeing so far this season through 10 games. I'm sorry, it was weird. I'm reminded of the shootout they had the other night where they lost, I believe, to the Capitals. His uh, his attempt in the shootout looked so casual, so nonchalant, and he missed. Everybody missed in that shootout. I think all seven wild shooters missed in that shootout, but his it just didn't look like his body language. It didn't look like he was in it, and that was, that was bothersome to me. That was not, it's not the energy I'm used to seeing from Kaprizov. I don't know what it is, I don't know why it is, but the Wild need that line, those players, but especially Kaprizov to get going. So if you're talking about your best player is not playing as well as he could be, your goaltending hasn't been as good as it ha- as it was last year by a long stretch, your defense is letting you down, letting you down, and your special teams are letting you down. That is a complete team effort. It's probably why you see on Twitter and social media and comments a lot of fans saying, "Hey, what about Dean Evison, head coach?" What uh, you know? What's the long-term plan here? Is he really the guy to lead this team? It's ten games into the season. I don't think the Wild are in the mood for a coaching change, and we know Bill Guerin has a lot of faith in Dean Evison. But when it is such a wholesale problem like that, when there's so many things going wrong, you do start to look at leadership too. So I will be curious to see where this team heads. I'm sure they've got a lot of soul searching ahead. They've kind of said things to that effect after this losing streak falling to, you know, three, five, and two on the season. Not looking good at this point in the year. So many things to point to. Will they incrementally improve? Will one or one or two of those areas start to improve? Will they get, you know, kind of wholesale better as the year goes on? Or is this just kind of who they are and they'll have to look for changes elsewhere? I don't know, but it's not pretty on the ice right now. Before we move away from hockey, too, I do want to note Wild had a nice tribute to Adam Johnson, a former local NHL player who died tragically in England um, in that on-ice incident where his neck was cut by the skate blade. Um, 
lots of great tributes pouring in across the NHL, but the greatest tribute might be that we might finally see players wearing protective neck gear to keep them from having these sorts of, you know, freakish but tragic accidents um, anywhere, but especially in the NHL. You saw TJ Oshie wearing one on Thursday night. This was his quote on being one of the first NHL players to wear a neck guard. He says, we're grown men. You can make your own choices. I made my choice for my kids. I want to stick around for them. I'm just trying to decrease the chance of injury. Absolutely. You know, some players don't like to wear them. They say they're uncomfortable. They don't look good. You know what? This isn't just a matter of like, hey, you're protecting yourself from maybe a broken leg or a separated shoulder. This is life or death. Even if this doesn't happen with alarming frequency, if you can do something, if you can wear a piece of protective equipment, they will keep you from having the chance to die on the ice. I think it's you know something the NHL should look into mandating at some point. England is already doing that for the 24 season after what happened to Adam Johnson. It can't be that far behind in the NHL, especially if they can produce more of these protective, these protective uh, neckwear. And uh, I just think it's it's smart. Why why wouldn't you want to protect yourself, especially after we saw what happened in this tragic case? Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Let's bring in Chris Hine, Star Tribune Timberwolves beat writer, to talk a little Wolves in this uh, early part of the season. Chris can maybe, he's the voice of reason in Twin Cities, um, Timberwolves <laughs> media, Timberwolves well, at, least, at least on this podcast, at least on this podcast, I'm the voice of reason. <laughs> That's very true. Um, I've, I've gone back and deleted all the episodes where I wanted to trade for Ben Simmons. Um, but the, no, I haven't done that, but I, I did maybe mention that once or twice. That, that would be a good idea. And that folks would not have been a good idea. Let me just say that right now. But, um, you know, I was, you know, we were trading texts when I was like, Hey, can you come on the, come on the podcast? And I was already down on them when they were one and two. And I was like, this Denver game feels really big. Like win or lose kind of feels big. And you were like, eh, like talk to me in a month. They won't feel that big. And I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. But winning that game did feel kind of important, at least to, to maybe calm some, calm some people down, but also maybe help them feel good about themselves. I mean, they, you know, they were one and two at the start. They had just blown that lead to Atlanta. You got the defending champs undefeated coming in and you route them at home. Yeah, it was, it was a really impressive performance. Um, And I think they got back to what was, you know, working for them early on. um, And they just played fantastic defense. I thought, Um, I thought everybody was, was clicking on that end of the floor. Um, Carl, I thought did a commendable job on Jokic one-on-one straight up that allowed Rudy to kind of do his thing in the paint and protect the rim, which is also kind of like guarding Jokic in a way, because having somebody at the rim, like Rudy Gobert kind of, cuts down Jokic's ability to find cutters for easy baskets. So it kind of works in tandem in that way. Jane McDaniels helping uh, Jamal Murray to get off to an 0 for 9 start at the, at the beginning of the game. Um, Like I I just thought every defensive half court possession was, was on point. And that really has been, except for the Atlanta game, I think, you know, three of the four games so far, the defense has been, 
very good to excellent. And they're number one in a defensive efficiency right now. It's early and small sample size and all that stuff, but they are number one in defensive rating uh, as of this recording. And that's what this team, I think, is ultimately going to be hanging its hat on is how well it plays defense and the personnel that it has on that end of the floor. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you're right. They've given up what less than 100 points in every game except the Atlanta game. And, you know, Atlanta did just kind of flat out make some shots in that game. And you can't just you can't hold a team down every time was probably good, really good for them. I don't even say probably, but was important for them to hold that halftime lead because after the Edwards was an Edwards dunk. I didn't see it, by the way, because I have the Bally app. and We were not able to watch the game on the Bally <laughs> app. That was a, a whole nother story, a whole nother reason for people to get upset on uh, yeah. on Wednesday night. But um, yeah. I think the Edwards dunk made it 19 at the break, just like Atlanta. And I think even your lead to your game story is like, they could have been thinking, here we go again. But Conley and some other folks really kind of made sure that they were kind of settled down, getting the shots they needed and not going to let that happen again. And that to me is was the difference. The big difference between Monday and Wednesday was Mike Conley, who was going through some food poisoning, did not feel 100% in that Atlanta game, felt 100% Wednesday night. Uh, was able to kind of take charge in the third quarter. You know, Denver tried to make eh, – there's a couple points where Denver was making many runs. Um, and I think they got as close as 14 or 13 or something like that. Um, but each time it seemed like Mike Conley came up with a play or he got some good offense going or he hit a floater or he hit a three. He had 10 points in that quarter. Um, and then later in the quarter, Kyle Anderson kind of took over as well as the primary ball handler playmaker. He got a couple buckets, set some people up, uh, just ran the offense well. And, you know, I think for the Finch doesn't use his timeouts well enough crowd, I think if you go back and look in that third quarter, I think Finch called some timeouts fairly early um, in in after uh, maybe earlier than he would have in other instances. Um, But he was he had a quicker trigger on the timeout call i think he called two in that quarter when denver made some mini runs so i think it was a it was a tough night for the finch doesn't you properly use his timeouts crowd or was it a great night because now was it a great because now they listen he's finally finally listening to them finally listening to the crowd i always i always think that's so overrated i'm I'm, this is is one of my best this is one of my basketball things i see I love our I love our readers. I love our subscribers. I love the people that are passionate enough to want to comment. But the Finch uses his timeouts improperly. Crowd, like, come on, like, like uh, yeah. basketball is so much more than a coach using his timeouts properly or improperly. I I do um, think that occasionally it does make a difference. You can kind of reset your guys, and maybe it helped last night. And I don't I don't fall on any kind of spectrum with with Finch on that. But I. I, I sarcastically tweeted that it was a tough night for the fire Chris Finch crowd because there was already people who were down on him after three games. Like this guy has got to go. Like he's the thing that's holding them down. It's like, it's been three games, three out of 82. It's well, this, is, know, this, people- is, this is just what I have come to expect and love about the, about Wolves fans is that um, in, you know, in Minnesota sports fans, you know, the, there is this kind of just pent up frustration that yes. just, is unvarnished and it, it, it could be yes. let out at any moment. And it, it, it shows how passionate everybody is. Um, and, you know, sometimes you just say irrational things when you're angry, you know, we, we, we get it. 
um it happens in all in all facets of life but yeah to to i thought the 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 calling for finch's firing after game three was i thought you know just it's tremendous give give it 10 games everybody at least give it 10 games even 10 games like three games is like (laughs) Like in terms of like season duration, it's like the equivalent of like being like early in the third quarter of the first NFL game of a season. Like it's, it's just in terms of like how much time has actually elapsed in your season. It was it was pretty amazing. And I, I get the frustration. I think part of it, too, is that the offense hasn't, at least at that point, hadn't looked consistently good. And, you know, the, right. the offensive efficiency is 22nd. I think you were telling me. Ant and Cat aren't necessarily clicking on that end either together or sometimes separately. Like that's still a piece they've got to figure out. They don't have to be a top five offense if they're a number one defense or a top five defense, but they have to be middle of the pack or maybe even a little bit better if they want to be a competitive playoff worthy, like, hey, they maybe maybe they can advance a playoff round kind of team. Yeah, that's and I think there's room for improvement. Um for each of them, Cat's shooting well below his career uh, averages right now. Ant, I didn't really look up his his stats yet, but I know he had the he had the pretty good offensive game in Atlanta, which lifted his numbers a little bit. But um, yeah, I think. But I think the big thing for this team is not just offense overall, but it it is the late game crunch time other team was making a run at us kind of offense that matters the most even if they had a, even if they have a really good offense um in the other parts of the game i still think that's a different dynamic that this team is learning how to play through and what what its strengths and weaknesses are in that area in it, it, their weaknesses were on display in Atlanta where yes, to Finch's point, then they were, they missed some shots early in the third quarter near the rim, but also I felt it was a lot of hero ball from ant uh, and cat yeah. to, uh, to a lesser extent um, to try and rescue them in that game. And that is not how this team needs to operate in those situations. That is the worst thing that can happen. And so having Mike Conley, calm everybody down last night that has to be the blueprint for them moving forward it's like okay the other team just scored three straight buckets let's make sure we get a good possession get a good shot and i think i wouldn't trust ant in that situation i would trust mike conley to to be the guy that that helps them get that shot right because there's a difference between like you can still have cat and ant be your primary scorers in crunch time. There's a difference, though, between getting that in the flow of the offense or setting them up to be in a spot to succeed versus one of them going one on two or just dribbling it out and trying to hit, you know, hit this hero shot. That that's maybe the difference that they have to learn. Like you're still the man, you're still the guy, but you don't have to do it by yourself. And that's and we've heard Ant say the right things in that regard, and he even said similar things last night like you know he's like sometimes i just need to stop worrying about scoring so much essentially um and he's not coming from a selfish place in that i don't think he's coming from a place of i know if i score more the team will do better um i think that's his you know that's kind of his thinking but i think the more that he sees that like yeah mike conley can take this or, you know, Kyle Anderson can take it um, or, you know, Nas can help when he's coming in off the bench. Um, you know, he just has to, I think, just trust his teammates a little more and help set them up instead of trying to just set himself up. 
especially in those situations. Yeah, and in, in, I think Chris Finch had a good quote after the game, the head coach, who we've talked about already, saying essentially like, hey, we want to see this some more. You used it in your game story. I'm finding it right now. Um, just talking about the maturity comes when you stack performances like this on top of each other. So that remains to be seen. But this was a great focused effort. So he's even kind of talking about, hey, you did it once. Can you do this again? Can you make this a habit? Correct. And, and that is the question for this team. That is the ultimate question that this team has to answer. They have not earned the benefit of the doubt just because they beat Denver by 20 points last night, this team has shown that it can't be trusted uh, these last couple of years. It can't be trusted to get satisfied with their own success. They can't be trusted within a game to hold a lead. Um, It's like every, every game is a new adventure for this team. You never, (laughs) you never quite know what to expect with this group and what version is going to show up on, on a given night. So that is a huge step for them. They, they need to come out uh, Saturday night, Utah, Utah, you know, Utah is kind of in that, that zone of like they're tanking, but not like right. they're the, they're the feisty tank team. That's like still competitive, but right. ultimately as an organization is like, right. Not trying to win now. So Wouldn't you would be disappointed to- if they lost, right? <laughs> Right, right, right. But they, you know, you still have to play hard to beat them. Um, right. I think they just handed it to Memphis last night. Uh, you know, so this is a team that you can't take light. This is, you know, one of those teams that you can't take lightly. Um, Utah came in here the second game of the season last year. I know there's yep. different personnel now. Yep, I remember that. Um, but, they, you know, they came they came in here twice last year and beat the Wolves at, at home at Target Center. Um, and Mike, Mike Conley was a part of both of those games, by the way. Um, that's right. Yeah. But, uh, they, this is, this is a good test for them because this is a team that they cannot take lightly. Um, and so following up a big win against Denver with a team, you should be that you're at home, you have two days of rest. Um, you know, so no complaints there, like, you need to you need to come out with a good performance Saturday night and show that you know you're you're trying to build something here. And I think maybe that was some of what raised the hackles of fans even through three games was that a lot of the problems felt familiar, right? It was the the late game offense. It was the inconsistency. It was some of the kind of clunkiness, the not being able to put a team away. So I get that. I also get that it was too early to be saying this is the same team but i i do i do get that to a certain degree i also agree with you and as you know this team too missed jade mcdaniels for the first two games of the year now last time we talked it was right on the eve of him signing that extension and you know you, you take a team that already looked pretty good defensively and add him to that mix um you know and he took a step so you know he's taken some offensive steps he had a good offensive game against Denver, um, you know, that that changes their depth too. like it, it. You know, I think their depth is is good, but you put Jade McDaniels, you give kind of your full complement of players. The depth just looks different, too. It does, because um, now you can have like if Jaden's out there, you can have him and Nikhil kind of almost trade off as like the perimeter defender guy. Right. Right. So you can have like 48 minutes of of kind of above average to elite perimeter defender perimeter defender on the other team's best score. And that's not something that every team can trot out. Um, you have 
I think Kyle Anderson as the sixth man is perfectly suited for that uh, depth-wise. He can play with the starters in a pinch if needed. He could help organize the bench unit um, and kind of run the show with his playmaking ability at times. Him and, you know, kind of Shake Milton kind of maybe trading off yeah. duties there. You've got Nas Reed, who's just playing fantastic basketball right now. Um, you know, Nas picked up where he left off uh, before he got hurt last season. Um, I thought, you know, I, he's just, he's been a, <laughs> he's been awesome. Yeah, he has. Um, like some of those moves he had in that Denver game were just like, yeah, he's scoring here. Like he's got this guy posted up. He's going to do that little turn with the left hand and it's, yep. it's going in. Like, like every time Nas Reed does something, you have confidence that something good is going to happen at the, as a, as an end result of it. Um, and yeah, Nikhil is, you know, like I said, like we said, very solid shake Milton, I think still trying to find his way a little bit. Yeah. And, find who he is within the structure of this team. That's kind of the one piece that's, that's, I think a little uh, to be determined at this point is just kind of how he finds his role. You know, we'll see. I think, I think he's got to find a balance between being aggressive, hunting for his shot and trying to set people up. And I think they're trying to tell him to be more aggressive and, and try to score a little more. And you saw that a little bit in the Atlanta game, but you didn't really see it too much against uh against Denver the other night. I think what we have seen through four games is we see a pretty clear identity emerging, even if this is a team still trying to sort out some of its issues, right? Like they, they said they want to be a defense first team and they are first in defense. Like that is what they are good at. They're playing slower this year. I think they're, you know, I think you said they're, they're kind of down there in pace versus last season. Like it, it makes sense. They're a little bit more of a, veteran, bigger team that wants to play good defense. This is different from some of the teams they had built, certainly different than the team they built two years ago before the Gobert trade, but it's really they really didn't fully form that identity last year because Cat was hurt. You had D'Lo running the point, and D'Lo's not, you know, D'Lo's going to push pace. I know he's not, you know, not the world's fastest player, but he's still going to kind of move the ball up and down the court to a certain degree, play pick and roll, quick games, things like that. Like having Conley and Gobert and Cat naturally means you're probably going to play a little bit slower. Yes, it does. And I think that actually that suits this team. And they, I think the more the game slows down, the better it is for them because you don't want to be getting up and down in transition against any teams with this, with this lineup. A, B, they are maybe the best half court or one of the best half court defensive teams in the league. So anytime you're able to get a team to run stuff in the half court, that's a win for the for the Wolves and their ability to play defense. And, you know, to a to another extent along those lines, they're rebounding better this yeah. year. The rebounding numbers are are very much improved through the first four games here. I think they were like third or something like that in, in, that, yeah. in uh rebounding defensive, defensive rebounding rate right? yeah. where they were twenty sixth. A season yeah. ago which so and that was the huge, mystifying huge that was mystifying last year like how can you be that with a big lineup but they were correct but they were and you know they'll, they'll they told us at ad nauseum that it was you know not so much the big guys it was the long rebounds and the guards yeah. and wings not rebounding jane mcdaniels had nine rebounds last night yeah um that's an important set there was a game where ant had 14 rebounds the, that, open, yeah. the opener against toronto right. so as long as these guys who you know kind of ant and Jaden um specifically uh, if those guys are rebounding at a higher clip um 
huge, huge uh, significance for this defense. Uh, Nas, I think Chris Finch was talking about Nas's improved ability rebounding. I haven't really dug into his numbers yet yeah. on that end, but you know, Chris Finch uh, has never praised Nas's rebounding in the past, <laughs> and he did the other <laughs> night. Um, so that's I think that's significant as well. So that's a big that's a big thing for me is is the rebounding rate because I feel like that has that just has killed them in the past. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, more than almost any other area. Um, and so if they can keep up how they've rebounded the first four games, that's a great sign for them going forward. Final thing for you, Chris. I mean, we talked about the, the three home games coming up, Utah and then Boston and then new Orleans. I mean, every game is, you know, every game is important versus, you know, versus not, but you were watching kind of the accumulation over this season with, you know, with having a pretty big impact on where this franchise might go beyond this year. Just we've talked multiple times about the contract situations they're up against. Jaden McDaniel's extension was for maybe a little bit more than I thought it was going to be, at least before the offseason started. Maybe that number became kind of more apparent that it was going to be more of like a $27 million a year kind of thing by the time it was all said and done. But that kind of puts them in a spot where they kind of know where they are financially. And like how how much do you think they're just evaluating this on a, you know, not necessarily a game by game basis, but like, you know, long view versus short view and trying to figure out exactly what they have, you know, before, you know, before some of these hard decisions have to be made. Good question. Um, you know, I think some things are emerging um, that will help them in the long, in the long-term view. If Nas Reed keeps playing like this, um, I don't know how he's not in your long-term plans, even beyond the, two three with a player option right. deal that he's he's currently on like Nas Reed is if he can keep this up for a full season is cementing himself as a franchise player um eventually here um you know it, it, the offensive fit with Carl and Rudy and Ant how is that going to play itself out uh for the rest of the season here can they ever get it going will they ever get it going and you know what does that look like if you if you can't um you know what does that mean for the future whether carl and or rudy are here after this season which one would you trade under that scenario if, you, if you're trying to you know you know if you're trying to win now for instance and the defense is your is your ticket um you're probably gonna want to keep rudy if if you know yeah thing if 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 you have the number one defense in the league like that like right you know there's no reason to move on from him if that's if if the defense is going to function like it is early in the season right now um so i i i don't know what that's going to look like and it's just game four so we have plenty of of time to to see if how this is going to work itself out but the defense being as good as it is i think is a very important sign for for this franchise because because you have now have Jaden McDaniel signed up long term and that is what he brings to the table like you could always have a, an elite elite defense as long as you have somebody in the post that is a, a very good rim protector like that it's yeah a great, it's a great combination to have defensively yeah I mean like you said too like if they've determined and decided at least for this season, that defense is their identity. And if they are stated on record as Tim Connolly is, is saying every move from here on out is building around ant does kind of make you wonder like what, you know, what this, what this whole fit looks like, but maybe it fits, maybe it all fits together. Great. And they don't have to do anything and they're just going to be a, be a good team and they'll decide, keep it together, keep it growing. But uh, that is 
That's why they play the games, right, Chris? That's right. That's right. We uh, plenty of information still to come. Yes, um, exactly. We will, and we will. I'm sure nobody will overreact to any of the small, absolutely not sample sizes absolutely along the way. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Every every game, people have reasonable reasonable reactions and takes following every win and every loss. Reasonable measured takes, looking yes. solely at the long view. That is all that we do on uh, on this <laughs> podcast and in Timberwolves Twitter. Uh, Chris Hein, appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. And I was kind of joking with Chris on Twitter Thursday night after the Wild game, saying, "Hey, look." It's not just Wolves Twitter that wants the coach fired. It's wild Twitter, too. Whenever a game goes wrong, the coach gets the blame. So let's not just single out Wolves Twitter, Wolves commenters, things like that. It is everyone, if things are going south, that wants a coaching change. Let's finish with the cooler. We heard from Joshua Dobbs, new Vikings quarterback, on uh, on Thursday. I was not out there, but several of my colleagues were. And I thought the answer that he gave about you know, kind of how his background in education, he's an aerospace engineering major at Tennessee, obviously a very smart guy, how that helps you prepare for a football game. You know, sometimes I think, is it overblown when we talk about smart quarterbacks? We talk about, hey, Christian Ponder, smart quarterback. Does that translate to the field? You know, is, is that is there something to it? Is it, or is it just a completely different thing? Where, hey, yeah, it, it's you know maybe it's helpful in the classroom, but doesn't translate to the field. I thought Dobbs had an interesting answer to kind of how that will help him, especially prepare on short notice to be ready for Sunday if he does in fact have to play. Um, obviously, like you know, we're now out there doing engineering equations on, on the field, um, but the study habits definitely for sure. Like I've had to cram for a lot of engineering tests because I procrastinated a little bit in college. So this is very similar to that, you know, where you're cramming a lot of information, um, having to study it, um, but also and not just study it just to memorize it, study it to actually go out and execute a plan. You know, there's two different things. Like, you know, I can tell you something, you can just spit it back to me, or like I can tell you, and then you actually have to go act on that information that's been given so those are two different ways of processing information obviously I have to do the second one um, at a really high level so yeah you know having um, to process a lot of information um, because of my trade in, in school definitely prepared me for situations like this I want to say you know any quarterback is is, is always you know preparing to uh, learn an offense in a week to go out and play but you know I have um, been in these situations and have had to process a ton of information on a short amount of time so it does prepare you for these situations. And again, Jaron Hall is the starter this week. Um, Dobbs is going to be the backup. Nick Mullins could come off of IR at some point, too. He's eligible to come off of IR in a week. It's going to be an interesting influx quarterback situation from week to week. Sounds like Dobbs is prepared for it. Sounds like Hall is prepared for it. He was impressive when he was talking earlier this week out at Vikings headquarters. Doesn't seem like he will be phased by the moment, but again, he is a fifth-round rookie. Does he have the uh, Does he have the the processing on the field? Does he have the the physical skills to compete at this level? That's what we're going to find out on Sunday. But it is fascinating. It is the it is a fascinating story to watch. We'll see who's quarterback from week to week, and uh, you know the Vikings haven't had to have that situation for quite some time. That'll do it for today. Lots of good stuff coming up next week. I imagine we'll talk about some Gopher women's basketball next week with that season starting, Vikings game, all sorts of stuff going on. So until then, enjoy your weekend. Back at it again on Monday.